This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Hi, I'm Imma. I live in Scotland. Hi, I'm Jen and I'm from Canada. Hi, I'm Ola Banji and I'm from Nigeria. Hello, I'm Liki and I live in Paris. Hey, I'm Rod. I'm from Peru. Welcome to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. In our conversations, we share ideas, perspectives, questions, and things we can actually do to make a difference. So don't be shy and join our Carbon Sessions because it's not too late. Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Janis. Welcome to the Carbon Sessions. We're so glad that you're here with us. And um, I, before we get into who you are and what you're doing, I want to ask you, Janis, what lights you up about the environment? Thank you very much, uh, first of all, for having me. Um, very much looking forward to uh, discussing these very important issues with you. Uh, what lights me up? Um, the urgency of the crisis and the fact that we still have time to do something about it. Those two things, as um, Michael Mann, the famous scientist says, there is urgency, but there's also agency. And personally, that's what keeps you going. Mm, absolutely. That's, that fits perfectly with the, the, uh, the tagline we have of it's not too late with the Carbon Almanac. <laughs> I, I, uh, hope, so, I really hope it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all hoping that, I think, which is why we're so glad to have these conversations. Now, tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and how you got involved with this. Yeah, so I'm currently a professor at London Business School. I'm an associate professor of strategy and entrepreneurship. I've been at the London Business School for about 13 years now. And before that, I did my PhD in business economics at Harvard. And before that, I did my undergrad at Yale, uh, majoring in economics and mathematics. So in my um, uh, career to date in academia, basically I have focused on understanding how is it and why is it that companies integrate environmental and social issues into the way they do business. Also, I very just in understanding what are the implications of doing so, how difficult is it to integrate these issues into business, and also with a more specific interest about understanding how is it that capital markets and investors more specifically uh, evaluate, sometimes punish, and sometimes reward these corporate attempts to integrate um, environmental and social issues into business. Now, on a personal level, why am I interested in this topic? I think it was more of an, uh, uh, towards the end of my PhD years, beginning of my uh, career as a professor at LBS, I always had this sort of existential question to answer, right? Why am I doing this? Why am I interested in business? Why is business important for the world? In other words, what is the purpose of business? And I think at the personal as well as a professional level, I realized that, um, studying, understanding, and doing research or engaging on the issue of sustainability and social responsibility was precisely what I thought at the time and continue to today, feel that is and think and feel that it is the right purpose for me, the right goal, and the right direction for my career. So you're on the right path. Have you noticed over the 13 years, have you noticed a shift 
Um, is there more uptake in, in the topic? There's a fundamental shift and we can see it across the board. I think we can see it in the world of, pra of practice with more companies um, make, uh, adopting targets and making efforts and attempts toward, towards integrating environmental and social issues. We see the shift in the financial markets and in the way they integrate or attempt to integrate ESG into the, their investment decisions. We have seen this in civil society with the emergence of more social movements that are demanding more of governments, they're demanding more of organizations. And to some extent, we have also seen governments stepping up in terms of, uh, for example, the Paris Agreement, establishing more laws and regulations, particularly on environmental issues, uh, continuing on the uh, path of, uh, of, of COPs, uh, and uh, uh, we have the 27th one this year and so on. So I think there is um, change all around us. And I would say that that change focuses on, first of all, individual change as, as consumers, for instance. And we see that younger generations are changing their consumption patterns, they're changing their demands and expectations. We see these change at the level of corporates, as I described earlier. We see these at the level of societies because of social movements, voting behaviors, and so on. We see these at the level of government. And I would say that we also see this change in the last 13 or so years or more uh, at the level of institutions, right? Because we see now international institutions, including for example, the European Central Bank, the European Commission, uh, larger organizations like the World Bank, the IMF, and so on and so forth, even the World Economic Forum, um, really, um, uh, at the very least, changing their rhetoric and some of them even changing their actions. And on a personal note, to be honest with you, uh, teaching these issues for 13 years, uh, I've seen in real time and in the classroom, the generational shift. Um, in other words, uh, for some of these issues, it became almost easier to teach them because it, for, to younger generations. Because for younger generations, I do not need to establish how important these issues are. They already know how important these issues are. The question is, okay, how do we address them? What can I do about it through my career? What can I do about it as a business leader? So I have seen change all around. And even though it uh, sometimes and often around the world, especially when you see the world of politics, it's easy to become pessimistic. It's, it's, it's easy to be depressed even sometimes. Um, what gets me going and what uh, continues the momentum for me is precisely the, the, the engagement that I have with businesses in general and especially with the younger generations of uh, entrepreneurs and executives. Is it becoming easier for for organizations to go this route i know i know it used to be we put in some recycling bins and you know do do a little bit of surface uh change but is it becoming easier um as you say the more that that things are being driven by all these different uh realms these different mm -hmm. areas um i think the short answer is no it's not easier because this is a very complex underlying problem to go from business as usual to being a responsible or a sustainable business it's a very fundamental transformation i often call this a disruption in business as usual because companies are lacking the skills the knowledge and the experience they require in order to address these environmental and social issues so i do not think it's becoming easier or was ever easy I think um, 
what is happening is that the change itself is becoming, first of all, more mainstream and and therefore, second of all, more legitimate. Because in the past, I would say, you know, 20, 30 years ago, even though some companies had some commitments, if you were to come out so forcefully, um, you would probably be regarded as not the marginal business, but the exception uh, to the rule, something that was at the periphery of business. Whereas now, whether we talk about governments, whether we talk about investors, whether we talk about broadly the social license to operate, it is not only expected, but it's actually demanded that businesses were at least engage in these transformations. Although the transformation itself hasn't become easier, the legitimacy of, cha- of, of, of change and the legitimacy on in a sense, embarking on this journey of change is becoming uh, uh, much more legitimate. The legitimacy is increasing and it's becoming mainstream. Are you noticing that people who are beginning businesses have this have the environment in their consideration? Or are you noticing more established companies that are wanting to make the shift? Because I imagine one might be... Um, one might be far more difficult to accomplish than the other. It is both. I think it is both. And I think like every period of disruption, these challenges and opportunities and change, it's going to come from two sources, existing players adapting what they do and new players entering and disrupting traditional business. And we have seen this, and let me start with the entrepreneurship side. We have seen this particularly in the last year or two, uh, uh, the reason why venture capital and venture capitalists and even high net worth individuals are increasingly investing in new ventures because we know that these entrepreneurial startups have the potential for groundbreaking innovations, which we desperately need in some sectors, right? Technological or otherwise. And therefore, everybody is looking for the next best idea in this space, an idea that is powerful, an idea that can bring about an innovation that can solve one of the world's challenges and at the same time be profitable. And why do we need it to be profitable? Not because, you know, I mean, yeah, of course, it's, it's nice to be profitable, but in my view, a viable profitable business is the business that scales up. And if we want these solutions to have a bigger impact on the grand challenges, we desperately need these solutions to scale up. That's why I personally believe in the power of business as an institution, because it's one of those institutions, if not the only one, to be honest, that can scale up solutions so quickly and efficiently and effectively. And we have seen this disruption. We have seen this entry, right? Think about Tesla in the automobile industry. Think about Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat into the traditional meat industry. Think about Oatly in alternative milks and so on and so forth. So we have seen that disruption happening. And I think that is going to be a main driver of change. But as you, we said at the beginning, there's also the large companies adapting. And it makes sense, right? You might think about all of the stakeholders they currently have. Their customers are demanding more environmentally and socially responsible products and services. Their investors are demanding the integration of ESG into their and into their operations so that they are able to value them in their investment decisions. Governments are demanding more in terms of environmental regulations and disclosures a, a lot of the time, right? On top of that, they have social movements knocking on their door and demanding that they do more. Also, their own employees think about what happened with McKinsey in 2021, right? They sent a letter to the, to the leadership of the organization. Look, we are working with 
some of the world's largest carbon emitters, but it seems to us that we're not doing enough to limit their impact. No response by October that year, we, we see resignations of McKinsey consultants because their vision did not align with the, align with the business. And on top of all that, of course, it is the underlying science, right? In recent years, we understand much more, of course, about climate change, plastics pollution, deforestation, biodiversity loss. We have the planetary boundaries framework that tell us how bad we're really doing as a system. So with all of those pressures, how could you possibly be a large business and survive if you don't adapt to those pressures? So we, we the second kind of the uh, engine of change, in addition to the startups, is going to be those businesses that, first of all, understand the scale and scope of the adaptation challenge, and second of all, make a true and honest and authentic commitment to really transform themselves. There is no such thing, of course, as a 100% sustainable business, but we have seen a number of successful attempts up to now. And, you know, the usual suspects that we all know and talk about, Companies like Unilever and the Sustainable Living Plan, uh, leaders like Paul Polman, leaders like Indra Nuyi and the performance with purpose at PepsiCo and so on and so forth. We have seen those attempts and we have seen how difficult they are. So I think those are the two engines through which we are going to see change. And on a, on a, on a slight note here, I think this also highlights the period of disruption we are in. Right, because we see a lot of new entry, and we see uh, the uh, extraordinary adapt adaptation attempts by existing players. And we need to be clear that there is no rosy path ahead. Periods of disruption. What do they do? They leave behind casualties. Not all companies will be able to transition. In fact, as I often say, the corporate graveyard is packed with once iconic brands that failed to navigate disruptions. Kodak, Polaroid, Sears, Blockbuster, the list is endless. And now, honestly, we are facing a disruption that we haven't seen before because the environmental and social challenges, if we're being honest with ourselves, these are issues that businesses were sweeping under the rug, right? As long as nobody knows that I have children in the, in the mines, I can just keep having them. As nobody knows that I'm polluting the local rivers, I can keep polluting and so on and so forth. And now it's time to pay the bill. Right? These are issues that in the past businesses were essentially not engaging perhaps as much as they should. Uh, and that's what makes this disruption potentially dangerous for some of them that continue to be in denial about the needs to change. Yeah, because if they don't, they, they miss the boat <laughs> um, they, and they end up, as you say, in the graveyard or, or they end up under increasing pressure from, from all the different sectors who are, who are raising this up. Yeah. Or they're being disrupted by entrepreneurs who are ready to come in on day one and address these issues, right? And it's a picture, I mean, think about this. Uh, for instance, think about if you are a traditional dairy company and suddenly you see a plant-based burger that tastes and looks exactly like what yours would do, or you have cows and suddenly uh, these people come in and say, oh, we have oatly. And, you know, you know and, and, and the things... What do I do with the cows? Like, how do I compete in, with this new business model? And the world is changing very fast on them, right? Think about California and the fact that they said they're going to ban fossil fuel cars. If you are an automobile company that hasn't already invested in this, you're already behind. And even there are coffee chains in, in, in the US that actually, um, and I was reading about this recently, um, instead of, you know, when we go and we, we ask for a coffee and I said, can I have that with oat milk, please? They reversed the game. They said oat milk is the default 
And if you want natural milk, you need to ask for it. That's how quickly the world is moving, right? And that's why companies that are not adapting are going to face very serious issues very soon. What do you think of uh, the recent uh, uh, announcement by uh, Patagonia? What do you think about that? It's extraordinary. I think it's extraordinary. And it seems that we, we might even see follow-ups to that. Um, I, think, I think it is extraordinary. And we, we do need that, what I would say, like boundary-breaking, essentially, leadership from organizations. And I think, you know, we have seen other models as well, right? So for instance, think about the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, right? Yes, Microsoft generated is the philanthropic model, but still it's, it's essentially a wealth that was created by business, right? And we've seen so much impact on healthcare, uh, for example, and on climate issues. If I'm not mistaken, Bill Gates is one of the, one of the, uh, the, the, the high net worth individuals that has invested a lot as well in climate tech. Technology, so we do need the uh, uh, individuals that are willing, if you like, to take that level of risk on on new ideas and new technology to solve these issues. So certainly, a very important and uh, uh, um, step in the right direction. Absolutely. So, what what ideas have your students brought to you that have excited you? Is there some particular example or something that you've heard a student bring to you that? You thought, yeah, this one's gonna go. <laughs> I think I think students bring ideas all the time. I think it's uh, they are, because a lot of the times I teach in the core as well as the electives. It's, it's always fascinating to see how these ideas mature and how they sort of link together with their sustainability sort of uh, interest and uh, and knowledge. So one, I mean, there's many, but I'm gonna just mention one. There is this uh, um, startup uh, that's growing very quickly. It's called Tree Up. You know, it, it's, uh, it, um, it's, it's an application. It's, uh, it started with the UK and Ireland. And basically, this is an application that through essentially green advertising allows you to plant one tree every day. So you actually goes through three screens of, of carefully selected brands, okay, that actually uh, fulfills a sustainability credential. So in a sense, as a consumer, you're being introduced to brands that are truly sustainable, but by working their advertising, the advertising money that the platform gets, they use in carefree selected tree planting projects. So quite literally, you can plant one tree a day and it starts acting like a platform, essentially. I just, uh, one example, I think we, we are in the every process. We're going to see a lot more cloud-based technologies. We do have, for instance, at London Business School, we have alumni that are, uh, you know, work in carbon markets. That we have others that work in healthcare. We have so many, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, a wide range of industries and, and new business models that I think exciting. We have a lot of also experiment with the circular economy and other, uh, what I would consider groundbreaking business model that does have a huge potential for, um, positive impact through scaling up. So all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if uh, someone is listening to this who is a consumer, um, yeah. what advice can you give the consumer who, who might be listening? To be honest, I wouldn't say only to the consumer because no one of us is unidimensional. Because first of all, right, as you mentioned, consumption is a very important component. Yes, we vote with our wallet in terms of what we buy and what we know, or perhaps what we ought to know about the products and services that we, we buy from businesses. So as consumers, I think that, and, and I'm very encouraged to see this, I think we see increased awareness and knowledge and demands for more transparency from products and services. That's why 
you know, we, we see increasingly, for instance, packaging that uh, informs us about the carbon impact of the product of service. So as consumers, I think the best that we can do uh, is make more informed decisions and make sure that we understand, um, you know, the, the underlying issues. But it's not only up to us. We as consumers also need some protection. So for instance, there is the plague of greenwashing. Right? A lot of companies want us to believe that they're doing much more than they say they do. And, that is wh- and that's why our own awareness needs to be complemented by the relevant laws and regulations that, ins- that ensure that when a company is lying to us, right, is subject to fines or legal risk or even litigation risk. Right? Um, <coughs> but we're not only consumers. right? We're also employees. We work for certain organizations. And in recent years, we have seen how powerful that can be, how employees can bring about a change uh, from within the organization. Also, and, and perhaps very importantly, we are investors. Perhaps one way or another, and most of us have a pension, and, some, sorry, and someone is investing that pension for us. So we can, and, and, and increasingly, we do demand that we know how on earth are they investing our money? Because when we retire, it's not just about how much money we're going to make. It's about the world we're going to live in. And we cannot possibly be investing in companies that make the world such a bad place for when we retire, right? So we are consumers. We are employees. We are investors. And last but not least, we are voters and we vote. And this is arguably, uh, if, if you want, if you asked me, if, uh, you know, uh, boiled it down to one important responsibility that we have, I would say voting is the most important one because voting will ultimately drive laws and regulations that are going to set the competitive landscape for businesses to innovate, for instance, in order to become more sustainable. Voting is going to put in place the right people. To, um, to really provide the vision sometimes, right, that countries need in order to become more sustainable and more responsible. Also, voting is the one that drives institutions. For example, Supreme Court justices in the U.S. are appointed, um, and, you know, proposed by the president, approved by Congress. Well, everybody's elected in Congress, right? The president is elected, which, which again comes down to our votes. And with recent decisions of the extreme Supreme Courts, we have seen the power that these institutions can have. That's why I think that each and every one of us, of course, we have individual responsibility. In other words, sustainability is not somebody else's problem, right? It's all of us. And especially individuals, we have this multidimensional way of affecting what happens in terms of how we vote, how we consume, and who do we work for. And of course, we could advocate, right? We can join social movements if we feel that voting alone is not enough for our voice to be heard. Uh, So we have all of those options. So we do, we collectively and individually have the power, and we ought to have the power, right? Most of us live in democracies, democracies. We ought to have the power to be able to change and the direction. Your passion is infectious, I must say. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You see, you asked me about why am I doing this? Because when I realized how much passion I have for this, I was like, 
What else should I be doing? Of course. You know, what else could I be doing? So here we go. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for taking the time. Is there anything else you want to leave us with before we sign Thank you very much for having me. I think the one thing that uh, um, uh, perhaps is worth mentioning is that, um, and I see this, this struggle with my students as well, whether we can be optimistic or pessimistic given what is happening in the world. And I think it's important to remember that progress is not always linear. Sometimes you have to take two steps back and then uh, take three steps forward and so on. And it is frustrating a lot of the times to work in this space. It is frustrating when people, for instance, and vested interests fight against climate change and, and, uh, and, and, and try to promote climate change denial. And we've seen this before, and we've unfortunately we've seen it again, right? So Governor DeSantis in Florida says, you know, this is the state where ESG and walk comes to die. We have seen attorney generals across states like West Virginia, Texas, and so on colluding in order to kick out uh, in, uh, banks and asset managers that coordinate ESG issues. These are hugely disheartening, but they are also, in my humble opinion hugely dangerous developments because frankly we suffered 40 years or more or less of delay in taking action on climate if now that denial and that undermining expands to the esg space more broadly um we're going to have a huge existential problem in our hands so there's two ways of looking at this one is the pessimistic way but the other one is in my humble opinion a call to action Right across all of the dimensions that we discussed earlier, we can do this, but we have to act, and we have to act now because the other so-called other side, the ones that protects vested interests and doesn't care if in the process it destroys the planet, is very well organized, it communicates very well, and sadly, it's on the rise. So, it, 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 as as one of my colleagues at Wharton says. It is now time to take sides. You have to pick sides. Um, Otherwise, we're not going to be able to make progress. Yeah. So there is hope. We just have to act now. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, And with urgency. Yes. That's right. That's right. Oh, good. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been such a pleasure. And uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's indeed been great. We covered a lot of ground. Thank you. (laughs) Hi. I hope you enjoyed that carbon session. Next, we have some messages from listeners about previous episodes. If you would like to share something about the segment you just heard or another perspective on climate change, visit thecarbonalmanac.org forward slash podcast and look for the button to leave your message. Now, on to the listener perspectives. Hi, Steve here from Swansea in the UK. I just wanted to add to the conversation about the myth of climate change, that it's always been happening and that it's nothing really other than a variation. I think that the variation is true. I think that there is evidence of time over a long period of time where there's variations. I mean, you go back to the ice ages, you go back far enough, but you've got the more recent things where in London, in the UK, they used to have fairs on the ice, on the frozen Thames, right in the middle of London. And that hasn't happened like that for a long time. But The general trend is definitely towards climate being warmer. The changes are more extreme and more persistent in this phase that we're in. And I think 
just to put it down to some variation in the climate doesn't fit with the evidence that seems to be there. Trouble is, it's speculation because there's no absolute evidence except you go back over a long period of time and go forward a long period of time, and we can't do that yet. So everything, to me, the evidence seems to be there that climate change is happening. It's not just a variation. Hey, Carbon Sessions. This is Tanya Downing from Durham, North Carolina. And I just wanted to share a quick quote I read that I thought was super helpful. So to set up the quote, I was doing research on how people make decisions when it comes to the climate. And I found an article by a behavioral scientist named Gabrielle Wong Perotti. And she's this young genius professor at Stanford. And in her work, she tries to understand how people make decisions to address the impacts of climate change and how we can empower these people. Here's the quote. She says, individual action makes a difference because we're social beings. When we see one another start to take climate change or environmental issues seriously, it becomes real. And when one person takes an action, another person may take that action and then another person takes an action. It's sort of like a snowball that rolls downhill and picks up additional snow, and then it just gets bigger and starts to have a life of its own. She says, when this happens, we start to see a change or shift in social norms, including changes in how society as a whole approaches climate change. Anyway, thank you so much for your work, everyone, and have a great day. You've been listening to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. We'd love you to join the Carbon Sessions so you too can share your perspectives from wherever you are. This is a great way for our community to learn from your ideas and experiences, connect, and take action. If you want to add your voice to the conversation, go to thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcasts and sign up to be part of a future episode. This podcast is also part of the Carbon Almanac Network. For more information, to sign up for the emails, to join the movement, and to order your copy of the Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Be sure to subscribe and join us here again, as together we can change the world.